0: Chapter 12. The Life of George Washington, in Words of One Syllable, by Josephine Pollard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of George Washington, in Words of One Syllable, by Josephine Pollard. Chapter 12. Foes in the Camp. It is much worse to have one foe in the camp. And to have a host of foes outside. For who can tell what harm he may do who comes in the guise of a friend? In the year 1774 a young man named John André came with the King's troops and fought in their ranks at St. John's and Crown Point. He had a brave heart and a fine mind, and did much to keep up the hearts of the men when in the camp. He was fond of the fair sex and had praised in rhyme the charms of a Miss Shippen, who wed Benedict Arnold in the year 1780. Arnold had fought well on our side at the north, and won much praise. He had been a seaman in his youth, and was both strong and brave, but he grew proud and vain, and sought to rank as high as the commander-in-chief, with whom he found much fault. Washington had great faith in him, and did not dream he was false at heart for some ill deeds while at philadelphia arnold had been brought to court and tried and his guilt proved and this had made him wroth with washington and the cause he had sworn to aid he sought for a way to pay back the slight and raise himself to fame with this end in view he wrote to sir henry clinton but did not use his own name that he would like to join the cause of king george on the terms that he had set forth. He was in need of funds, for he was deep in debt, but Clinton did not see fit to make use of him. Two or three more of his schemes failed, and at last he asked that he might have charge of the post at West Point. This Washington gave him, and in August Arnold fixed himself in a fine house that stood on the east side of the stream, half a mile or so south of West Point. From this place he sent notes to Andre, the aide-de-camp of Clinton, who wrote back and signed his name John Anderson. Arnold's plan was to throw West Point and the Highlands into the hands of Sir Henry Clinton at the time that Washington was at King's Bridge, and the English troops in New York. A fleet with a large land force on board was to come up to the Highlands, and Arnold would at once yield up the post into their hands. This act, he thought, would bring the war to an end. With the flag of King George at high mast, and then great would be the name and fame of Benedict Arnold. That the scheme might not fail, Arnold wrote to Andre To meet him at Dobbs Ferry, September 11th, at noon. But Arnold had spent the night of the 10th at Harvestraw, on the west shore. And on his way back in his barge, as he had no flag, he was fired on by the guard-boats of the king's troops. So he had to put off his plans for a day or two. In the meantime, the sloop-of-war Vulture, a good name for such a bird of prey, was brought up the Hudson so as to be near at hand to aid in the vile scheme. On September eighteenth, Washington, with his suite, crossed the Hudson at Vanderplank's point in Arnold's barge, on his way to Hartford. Arnold went with him as far as Peekskill, and talked with him in a frank way, as if he were most true to the cause. Andre went up the Hudson on the twentieth and went on board the Vulture, where he thought to meet Arnold, but Arnold knew it would not be safe for him to be there, so he kept in the background. The next night, a boat crept up to the side of the Vulture, in which were two men. Their oars scarce made a sound. Andre, who wore a blue coat, went on board this boat and was rowed to the west side of the stream six miles south of stony point they came to a shore at the foot of a high mount known as long clove it was midnight dark was the hour and dark the place and dark the deed arnold was there hid in the shade of the woods a man was near who came to wait on him and take care of his horse he and andre had a long talk one two three hours passed and still there was more to say one of the men who had brought andre and whose name was smith warned them that it was near daybreak and the boat would be seen by our guards if they did not go back soon arnold feared that the sight of a boat on its way to the vulture might bring harm to him and his scheme so he urged andre to stay on shore till the next night the boat was sent to a creek up the hudson and andre on the horse that arnold's man had rode set off with arnold for smith's house the road took them through the small town of haverstraw as they rode on in the dark the voice of one of the guards at an outpost made andre start for he knew he must be within our lines but it was too late to turn back and at daybreak they reached smith's house scarce was the door closed on them when the boom of great guns was heard from down the stream Andre felt ill at ease, and had good cause for fear. The fact was that as soon as Livingston, who had charge of our troops at Vanderplank's point, heard that the vulture was within shot of Teller's point, which juts out twixt Havershaw Bay and Tappan Sea, he sent some men and some big guns to that point in the night to fire on the sloop of war. Andre kept a close watch on the scene from a top room in Smith's house. At one time he thought the vulture was on fire, but his heart gave a throb of joy when he saw the sloop of war drop down the stream out of reach of gunshot. Arnold gave Andre the plans of the works at West Point and told him what and how he was to do. As the vulture had changed her place, he told Andre it would be far more safe for him to go back to New York by land, and he would reach there in less time. But Andre said that he must be put on board the sloop of war the next night, and in case he should change his mind, Arnold gave him a pass that he might go by sea or by land. At ten o'clock that morn, Arnold left him to his fate. Time moved at a slow pace with poor Andre. Once on board the vulture, he would be safe. His task would be done, and West Point would soon be in the hands of the redcoats as night set in he grew still more ill at ease and asked smith how he had planned to get him on board the vulture it gave him a shock to learn that smith had not done the least thing the boatmen had gone home and he would not take him on board the vulture but he said he would cross the Hudson with him and start him on the road to new york by land and go some of the way with him on horseback they set off at sunset and went for 8 miles on the road to white plains when they were brought to a halt by a band of our troops who were out as watchmen andre showed his pass signed with arnold's name and so they took him for a friend and not a foe he wore a coat of smiths that made him look like a plain man the two were warned that it was not safe for them to be on the road at night as they might meet the cowboys from the king's troops who but a short time since had swept through that part of the land smith was full of fears and andre had to yield to his wish to take a bed in a farmhouse near at hand this they did but andre could not sleep he knew that he was not safe at daybreak he woke smith and made him haste to leave the place two and a half miles from pine's bridge on the croton river andre and smith took a scant meal at a farmhouse which had been stripped by the cowboys here smith took leave of andre who was to go the rest of the way to New York alone. He felt no fear now, as he had passed our lines and was clear of those who kept watch on the outposts. Six miles from Pines Bridge he came to a fork in the road. The left branch led to White Plains. The right branch led to the Hudson. He had thought at first that he would take the left-hand road, as the right one was said to be filled with cowboys, but he had naught to fear from them as he was on their side, and as it was a more straight road to New York, he turned down it and took his course on the banks of the Hudson. He had not gone far when he came to a place where a small stream crossed the road and ran down a dell that was thick with trees. A man stepped out with a gun and brought Andre to a stand. Two armed men came up to aid the first one, whose name was Paulding. Paulding's coat was in rags and was of the kind that was worn by the king's troops. When Andrê caught sight of it his heart leapt for joy, for he was sure he was safe, so sure that he did not guard his tongue. He asked the men if they were on his side, and they said they were. He then told who he was, and that he had been sent to a post up the Hudson and was in haste to get back. As he spoke he drew out a gold watch. Such as few owned in those days, and none but men of wealth. Think what a shock it must have been to Andre when Paulding said they were not his friends but his foes, and he was in their hands. Then Andre tried to make out what he first told was a lie, but that he would now tell the truth. And he drew forth his pass to prove that he was all right. Had he done this in the first place he might have gone on his way. A still tongue shows a wise head the men seized his horse by the rein and told Andre to get off he warned them that he had been sent out by general arnold and that they would be ill dealt with if they held him back we care not for that they said as they led him through the shrubs on the edge of the brook then they went to work to search him and took note of the way in which he was dressed they were poor men and had not had a chance to see such fine clothes Andre wore a round hat a blue greatcoat, neath which was a red coat decked off with gold lace, a nankeen vest, small clothes, and boots. They made him take off his coat and vest and found naught to prove that he had sought to harm their cause and they had a mind to let him go. Paulding, who had been twice in the hands of the redcoats and ill-used by them, was still not quite free from doubt. A thought came to his mind: boys said he His boots must come off. At this, Andre's face flushed, and he said that his boots were hard to get off, and he begged that he might not lose time in this way. But the men were firm. They made him sit down. His boots were drawn off, and the plans that Arnold gave him were brought to light. Paulding looked at them and cried out, "He is a spy!" He then asked Andre where he had got these plans. "From a man at Pine Bridge," he said. "A man." whom i did not know as he put on his clothes andre begged the men to let him go he would pay them a large sum and stay with two of the men while one went to new york to get it here paulding broke in keep your gold we want none of it were it ten times as much you should not stir one step andre had to yield to his fate and was led by the men to our post which was ten or twelve miles off andre rode on horseback with one man in front and one at each side at noon they came to a farmhouse and those who dwelt there sat at the midday meal the housewife whose heart was touched by a sight of andre's youth and look of grief asked him to draw near and take some of the food then as she caught sight of his gold-laced coat the good dame said that she knew it was poor fare for such as he but it was the best she had poor andre shook his head and said Oh, it is all good, but indeed I cannot eat. When the four reached the outpost and Jameson, who was in charge, saw the plans that had been found on Andre, he at once saw that they had been drawn up by the hand of Benedict Arnold. He at once did the thing he ought not to have done, which was to write to Arnold and tell him that a man who said his name was John Anderson had been caught and held, though he bore a pass signed by him. The plans found on him had been sent to the commander-in-chief, and André, with a strong guard, was sent with a note to Arnold. In a short time, Major Talmage, who was the next in rank to Jamison, came back from a trip to White Plains. He had a clear head, and as soon as he heard the case, he at once urged Jamison to send a man in haste to bring André back. This was done, but Jamison had not thought to have a note to Arnold brought back, so it sped on to let the knave know that his plot had failed. As soon as Arnold read the note he sprang on the horse of the man who brought it, and rode with all speed to the dock where his six-oared barge lay moored. He threw himself into it and bade his men pull out in midstream and row as fast as they could to Tellers Point, as he must be back in time to meet Washington, who was then on his way to West Point. The guards knew his barge, so they did not fire on it, and a bit of white cloth waved in the air served as a flag of truce. He soon was on board the vulture, where he gave himself up, and the coxswain, and six bargemen with him. This was a mean act, and showed just what kind of man Arnold was. But as soon as the men made it known that they had been led to think that all was all right, and that a flag of truce gave them a safe pass, they were at once set free. Arnold gave the redcoats much aid, and they were glad to make use of him, but they did not care to make friends with so base a man. At the close of the war he went to England, and made his home there. He was shunned by all, and died in the year 1801 at the age of three score. As Washington drew near the fort at West Point, he thought it strange that no guns were fired. Is not General Arnold here? he asked one of the men who came down to the shore to meet him. No, sir. He has not been here for two days past, nor have I heard from him in that time. This was strange, but soon the note from Jameson was placed in his hands. When he had read of the deep laid scheme, he said with a deep sigh, Whom can we trust now? Word was at once sent out to the guards to check Arnold's flight, but it was too late. He had slipped from their grasp. Let us now see how Andre bore his hard fate. He had the best of care and made hosts of friends, who grieved that one so young, so well-bred, and of such high rank, should have done a crime for which he must be hung. It was a great grief to Washington, who would have felt no pang had Arnold been in Andre's place. But death to the spy was one of the rules of war, and on October second was the day set for andre to be hung he had asked that since it was his lot to die he might choose the mode of death and he begged that he might be shot this washington could not grant though in his heart he longed to do so but thought it best that andre should not know on the morn of the 2nd andre dressed himself with great care in the full suit worn by those who bore his rank in the king's troops he was calm while all those near him were in tears. He walked with a firm step to the place where he was to end his life, arm in arm with two of our troops. When he caught sight of the rope, he gave a start, and asked if he was not to be shot. When told that no change could be made, he said, How hard is my fate! But it will be but a brief pang. Then he stepped into the cart, took off his hat and stock, loosed his shirt at the throat, put the noose round his neck, and bound his own eyes. When told that there was a chance for him to speak if he chose, he said, I pray you to note that I meet my fate like a brave man. Then the cart was moved off, and he was left in mid-air, and death took place in a short time. Andr was laid in a grave near the place where he was hung, but in 1821 was born to the land of his birth and placed near the tombs of kings and queens he that breaks laws must pay the price if you want to make friends and to have them love and trust you be true let no one coax you to sin the eye of god is on you and he sees all your deeds you may hide your crime for a while but you may be sure your sin will find you out be not an arnold nor an andre